Good morning, let's pray together to prepare to open God's Word. Father, it's a, it's a new day, it's a new month, and uh, I'm so thankful that you promised that your mercies, your grace, new every morning. Lord, you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And Lord, we've already sensed your love spilling over us this morning as we can raise our voices and declare how good you are. Lord, would you be at work in us? Uh, some of us may feel tired. Some of us may feel very grief-stricken. Some of us are maybe distracted by all that's going on. And uh, some of us may be pretty excited about some different things. But Lord, one need we all have, and that's to encounter you this morning to hear your voice speaking to our hearts. So by your Spirit, will you do that? Will you use my lips to communicate to our hearts from your Spirit to ours? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our series is called Delight Yourself in the Lord, The Connection Between God's Glory and Our Joy. And what I want to talk about this morning is how God's glory and our joy come together in this thing called worship. You and I want to be happy. God wants us to be holy and to glorify Him. And worship is the place where those two desires, God's desire to be glorified and our desire to be satisfied, worship is where those two things meet in a way that is very powerful and life-changing. I want you to look with me at a conversation that Jesus had with a woman who was neither happy nor holy. Um, God was not being glorified in her life in the way she was living. And she was not being satisfied in her life and the way she was living. But along comes Jesus, and he aims to change all of that. So we're in John chapter 4, and I invite you to take a Bible. There should be one in the rack in front of you if you don't have one. Open to uh, the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 4. And let's read, we're going to pick it up at verse 3. It says, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, which means he's traveling from the southern part of the land of Israel up to the north. And he had to pass through Samaria, which is right in the middle. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. <laughs> the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say, meaning you Jews say, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? There are two thirsty people in this story with two very different kinds of thirst. Jesus is thirsty for water, so he asks this woman for a drink. Don't think he ever gets it. <clears throat> because the conversation quickly becomes all about her thirst. It's a different kind of thirst, it's much deeper. It's a spiritual thirst. It's a God-sized thirst. And this is a thirst we all have, though we may not all be aware of it or know how to meet it, how to satisfy it. This woman certainly didn't know. But Jesus is going to change that. He's using his thirst to engage her in conversation about her thirst for something much greater. And in the process, we learn something hugely important here. I was thinking about, as I was thinking about saying that, I thought, you know, I, I say that like every week. You're probably thinking, Pastor Kate, you're always saying that whatever you're talking about is hugely important. It's because it is. Okay? It's, this, is, this is God's Word. What God says is hugely important. And the hugely important thing we learn from this conversation is that only real worship can satisfy our God-sized thirst. Only real worship can satisfy our God-sized thirst. 
We're going to look at it one step at a time, and we're going to look at it from Jesus' perspective. And what he wants to accomplish here in the life of this woman, and ultimately in your life, and in my life. He's on a mission here. He has a goal. What's he after? What's he trying to accomplish? Well, first, Jesus wants to satisfy spiritual thirst. That becomes pretty obvious right off the get-go. He wants to satisfy spiritual thirst. That's why he moves the conversation from talking about physical water to what he calls living water. He says, whoever drinks this living water will never thirst again. And he says, this water will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is he talking about? He's talking about a thirst for God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. God says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So notice, God is the spring of living water who can satisfy our deepest thirst. That's the water Jesus is talking about. Though the woman doesn't get that at first. She thinks he's talking about some kind of special drinking water. But he isn't. Jesus knows she's thirsty. Jesus knows we are thirsty. All of us. We all have a deep longing for satisfaction. A raging thirst in our souls. We're thirsty. What are we thirsty for? Several things. For one thing, we're thirsty for love. For unconditional love. We long to be accepted and valued and cherished for who we are. We want to know that we are loved. We want the security of knowing that we are loved apart from our ability to perform or achieve or succeed. Just for who we are. We want to be loved. We want someone who will love us and who will never stop loving us. We're thirsty for love. We're also thirsty for meaning. For purpose. Nobody wants to live their life and have it just be a gigantic waste of time. Totally, utterly meaningless. We want to have significance. We want to be a part of something that lasts. Something that matters. Something that makes a difference. That counts. We're thirsty for meaning. For purpose. And something else. We're thirsty for something great to admire and fill us with a sense of awe and beauty. We long to celebrate something, something magnificent, something that delights us and just causes us to say, yes, that is awesome. You see this all around us. Everybody's Wanting to celebrate, we've got this, this uh, inclination, this impulse 
to celebrate greatness. I mean, that's why we do ridiculous things like idolize celebrities, you know, go through the supermarket checkout. Here's all these celebrities. Why? That's because we got this thirst. We want to, we have, we want to admire greatness. We want to celebrate greatness. We want to just, it's a poor substitute, but we do that. We look for great things that we can idolize. We have a thirst to delight in greatness. So, people want to be loved, people want to be significant, and people want to be awestruck. Or to say it another way, wanting to be awestruck, we want to worship. We want to worship. We all do. We're all thirsty. And that thirst for love, for significance, for greatness, that motivates just about everything that we do. And Jesus knows what we're really thirsty for is God. God is the spring of living water. God is the one who can quench our God-sized thirst for love, for meaning, and for greatness. Now, before we move on, I want you to just dwell on that for a second. Think about the fact that Jesus cares about this woman's deepest thirst, her deepest needs. Think about that. In spite of the fact that she's a little arrogant, she's immoral, and her life is a total mess. Jesus looks beyond all of her junk and sees her deepest need. He wants to lead her to the spring of living water. He wants to satisfy her deepest need beyond what she can possibly imagine. Do you know? Do you know that Jesus cares about your thirst? Do you know that he cares about your deepest needs, that he wants you to be satisfied? So many people act like they think God is just out to ruin their lives. Make them miserable, you know? They don't want to give Jesus control of their lives because they just, they're convinced. I don't know what they're convinced of. They just, they think they've got a better plan. You know, that's, that's just us. We think we've got a better plan than Jesus to make us happy. And sooner or later, our plan always falls short. Jesus knows we have a deep spiritual thirst, and he wants to meet it. Jesus wants to satisfy spiritual thirst. Second, Jesus wants to make real worshipers. That also comes out in this conversation. He wants to make real worshipers. And right in the middle of this conversation that they're having, you know, it starts, hey, I want a drink, some water would be nice. Well, if you'd asked me, I'd have given you living water, and she doesn't understand, and it's this conversation about water, satisfaction of thirst, and <laughs> the conversation starts to get uncomfortably personal. And when it does, she decides it's time to change the subject. She figures, Jesus, he's got to be a prophet or something because of what he knows about her. So she figures, hey, the guy's a prophet, let's talk worship. So she thinks she's changing the subject from her needs, her spiritual thirst, 
to worship. That's a different topic, different subject. Turns out it's not. It's not different at all. Jesus is just as eager to make this woman a real worshiper as he is to satisfy her spiritual thirst because, well, you'll see, they come together. What is real worship? Contrary to what this woman thought, it's not an issue of where you worship. She's like, this mountain, that mountain. This building, that building. Where are we supposed to worship? It's not the issue. The issue, according to Jesus, is how we worship and whom we worship. The answer to how is we need to worship in spirit. That is, we need to worship genuinely, authentically, from the heart. You know, worship involves a lot of outward things. You can read through the Bible and read all kinds of outward acts that worship can, can take. Uh, things like kneeling and bowing down, uh, praying, singing, giving, weeping, clapping hands, playing musical instruments. Okay, all these outward acts. But if they're only outward, if it's just an outward act, if our hearts are not engaged. Remember what Jesus said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he calls them hypocrites. If our hearts are not engaged, if there's no spirit in it, no heart, it's empty. It's not real. If the outward act doesn't come from an inward impulse, a heart, a spirit of worship, it's not real. So we need to worship in spirit. And then the answer to whom we worship is, we need to worship in truth. That is, we need to worship the true God. The God who is real. Jesus had to point out to this woman, you worship that which you don't know. Meaning you Samaritans. Because see, they had taken the Bible... And they had picked and chosen which parts they wanted and thrown away the rest. So they didn't have the real truth about God. They did not worship in truth. We need to worship the real God, the God who made us, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.18 is talking about Jesus coming into the world, very fitting, Christmas, okay, Jesus' advent, coming into the world, and it says there of him, no one has ever seen God, because God is spirit, but God the one and only. Now he's referring to Jesus who came into the world. God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known or has declared him. Jesus came for this reason so we could know the real God. We can know who God really is. The true God. Alright, so worship, real worship, is a real heart response to the God who is real. I didn't put that on your note sheet, but you might want to jot that down. I will. Real worship is 
a real heart response to the God who is real. Okay, so catch this. All right, look at, look at this. Look what Jesus is doing here. I love this. All right, what's he after? He's seeking to turn non-worshippers into worshippers. And he's seeking to satisfy God-sized spiritual thirst. And here's the thing. Both of those desires, God's desire to be worshipped and our desire to be satisfied, are really a desire for the same thing. Because when we genuinely worship God, when we realize who God really is, and we realize how awesome He really is, and then we respond to who He really is with authentic, heartfelt response in all of those different things I mentioned a few minutes ago, and more, including worship as a very lifestyle, all we do can be and ought to be worship. A response, a heartfelt response, in all the different ways that that can take to who God really is, an authentic heart response. When we truly delight ourselves in the Lord, our God-sized thirst for satisfaction gets satisfied. And God gets glorified. That's how they come together. And Jesus came to make this happen. That's what he means when he says, A time is coming and has now come. If you look ahead to John chapter 17, Jesus prays, Father, the time has come. What time is he talking about? The time for him to go to the cross. The time for him to die for our sins that separate us from God so that we can be forgiven, so that we can become worshipers, so we can have our deepest thirst satisfied for love, for meaning, for greatness. So we can worship God in spirit and in truth and be satisfied. Jesus came to make that happen. But if it's going to happen, we've got to see one more thing. Jesus wants to rescue from false worship. Jesus wants to rescue from false worship. I said the woman tried to change the subject and talk about worship instead of her need for living water. Uh, why did she want to change the subject? <laughs> well, because Jesus brought up the issue. He said, go, call your husband and come here. That's awkward. Why, why did he do that? Why did he bring up this awkward topic? He knew she didn't want to talk about it. Why did he do this? Ask it this way. What does her issue with men have to do with satisfying her deepest thirst? 
It has everything to do with it. Remember that verse from Jeremiah? My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God is the spring of living water who alone can satisfy our God-sized thirst for love, for meaning, for awe and greatness. And instead of going to Him, so often we go elsewhere. And we go to these cisterns, these broken cisterns that can't even hold water. Well, for this woman, relationships with men were her broken cistern. Look what she says in verse 29 when when she talks to the people of the town. Hey, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Well, that sure sounds like an overstatement. All she ever did? All Jesus said was, you've had five husbands, the guy you're living with now is not your husband. That doesn't sound like everything. But it was everything to her. Jesus had put his finger on the issue that defined her life, on her broken cistern. She kept looking to men to satisfy her thirst for unconditional love and acceptance and security. She thought if she just found the right guy, she'd be happy. She'd be content. Men were her broken cistern. And so Jesus, in order to satisfy her God-sized thirst, has to turn her away from her broken cistern and lead her to the spring of living water. It's not just that she's not worshiping God, it's that she's worshiping something else instead. Relationships with men. Because we all worship something. We all do. It's how we're wired. Okay, the human heart is designed to worship. Worship means to attribute ultimate worth to something. Think of it as worth-ship. To worship is to attribute ultimate worth to something and to delight in it, to adore it. And we all do that. Even the most hardcore atheist does that. We just worship different things. And if you want to know what it is you worship, just ask yourself this question. What do you consider most valuable? What's most valuable to you? What do you seek your greatest satisfaction in? What do you pursue? Just think about your life. What do you pursue in order to satisfy your longing for fulfillment? Because whatever it is that delights you the most and satisfies you the most, that's what you worship. This woman was seeking God-sized satisfaction in a husband, in a relationship she hoped that would give her the security and the love that she longed for. And people do this all the time. You may be doing it right now. It's easy to do. You know, there may be a friend 
or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or a parent or a child that you're hoping will make you secure and give you the love that you need and will love you no matter what or that will give you significance or that will be that something great to fill your soul. It never works. It never works. People cannot fill that void for you. Neither can money or possessions or success or sex or music, entertainment, fun, all of the things that we are prone to worship. None of them can fill the void. Why can't they? Because they're too small. They're just too small. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But they're too small. The void is too big. It's God-sized. God made us for Himself to be delighted in Himself, to worship Him, to satisfy our souls. But if you're trying to fill that void with something else, then you're not asking God to fill it. And if you're not asking God to fill it, it will never be filled. You were made to worship God. He alone, He alone is great enough to satisfy your thirst for awe. He alone can give you a purpose big enough to live for and to die for. He alone will love you forever, no matter what. Only God can do it. God's high satisfaction can only come from God. Jesus is the only one who can bring it to us. Jesus is the only one who can bring it to us. Why? Well, that's why He came. That's why He died. That's why He rose from the dead. To turn us from non-worshippers into worshippers, to satisfy our God-sized thirst. We've all dishonored God countless times. We've belittled Him. We've rejected Him. We've denied Him by trying to satisfy our souls with other things. We deserve to be separated from Him forever for doing that. But Jesus came. He willingly experienced that separation for us on the cross. And now He offers to satisfy our God-sized thirst to turn us away from our broken cisterns, which is what we need to do. If you never have, it's kind of an ongoing process, but it starts with realizing that Jesus alone is the one who can bring us the God-sized satisfaction, turn us from non-worshippers into worshippers. But you've got to turn away from whatever your broken cistern is and come to Him. And by the way, don't misunderstand don't think that because God alone can satisfy our God-sized thirst that that somehow means we don't need other relationships. And don't, don't hear that. Don't say, oh, well, I got God, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. No, that's not true. In fact, God Himself said it's not good for man to be alone. The problem is not in wanting other relationships or in having other relationships. The problem is trying to find God-sized satisfaction in those relationships. Trying to find a love that's unconditional in a person. You try that, you'll drive everybody crazy. You'll drive your spouse crazy if you're married. You try to get them to love you unconditionally, keep telling them, love me more, love me more, love me more. 
you drive them nuts. Or you try to find that significance that's eternal. You know, if, if more women than men say, love me more, love me more, more men than women t- tend to say, you, make me significant. Be that woman who admires me and tells me how great I am because I need to feel that I'm significant. Or if you want a greatness that is truly awesome, you're not going to find it in a person. You need relationships, but you can't find God-sized satisfaction in those relationships. You're thirsty for those things. You are. And God alone is the spring of living water who can satisfy that thirst. He wants you to come to Him in the person of Jesus and say, I'm so thirsty. Lord, will you satisfy me? Look what Jesus said. John seven thirty seven. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty... I love that. If anyone is thirsty. You realize the only thing you can bring to this is your sin, your need, your emptiness. That's all we bring. That's all we have to offer God is our emptiness. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes, whoever trusts in me, as the Scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. God satisfies the thirst and it begins to just well up inside of us and then spill out in love and grace to others. If anyone is thirsty. Are you thirsty? Maybe you're not. Maybe you don't feel your thirst. You know, that's one of the problems with trying to satisfy our thirst in other things is eventually we get kind of used to disappointment and then we kind of convince ourselves we're not really that thirsty. We don't really long for what we do. Yes, we do. We're thirsty. Ask God to awaken you to your truth soul's thirst. Do you feel it? Where are you going to satisfy it? Let's pray together. If someone were to ask you today, what is your broken cistern, or what are some of your broken cisterns, the places you tend to go to try to satisfy that God-sized thirst, do you know what they are? Jesus is calling you to realize those cisterns are never going to satisfy you. And to turn from them, to turn to Him, and say, Lord, I want to come to You, and I want to drink. I want to believe. I want to trust in You to provide my soul's satisfaction. Make me a real worshiper who worships You in spirit and in truth with all of my life. Today, if you never have, I just invite you to go to Him and call out to Him and ask Him. Jesus said, come to me and drink. And if you've come to Him, old habits die hard 
we can still find ourselves wandering back thinking that other cistern might be a good thing to do when it never is. Come back, drink, worship. Father, you're greater than we know. You're more awesome than we know. You have told us so much. And Lord, we're going to go through a season right now where we're going to be told again and again that if we'll just buy this thing, if we'll just get this gift, that'll be the thing that'll finally make us happy. It isn't true, Lord. Help us in this season of Christmas to embrace your gift of Jesus that we can have life, that we can drink deeply at the spring of living water and be satisfied. We ask that you would be glorified and we would be satisfied in Jesus' name.